Praise the Lord. Uh, normally, at, at, right before someone comes up, uh, Chris said that they introduce the pastor that's coming to preach. Um, I said, you don't have to introduce me. This is my house. So, um, again, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Gus Rodriguez. I am one of the pastors here uh, in, in longevity or forever or whatever. But um, I'm so grateful to be here uh, again. And uh, I, I want to be able to, I feel like I'm in a big living room and I just want to share with you guys. Is that okay? That is that okay if we lean in and just have some conversations? Um, see, it, it would be remiss, it would be derelict of my dereliction of my duties if I don't honestly share the whole gospel with you. I think we're living in times in which people want their ears to be tickled. Uh, they want to be comforted. Um, they want goosebumps to come up and down them um, and feel good while yet living in sin. And that's not what the church is supposed to be about. It's, it's, of course, it's a place where people gather from everywhere. We're, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have our issues. You know, you hang out with me and, and, and you realize that. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's, we have to answer the question of where is Christ in your life? You have to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. You're going to have to answer it. Uh, and, and you, you know, he can't be in the peripheral, right? like, like little bubbles that you can reach for. It can't be something that you just add to your life. Um, he has to be sitting in the throne of your heart. That's where he has to be. And, and so what begins to happen in our lives is that um, we worship with our mouths, but our hearts are far from him. And so there are so many distractions and things that we pursue, right? We long for God but we reach for the world, right? And so that's important that this longing, like God has placed in our hearts eternity, right? Every single person here is on a faith journey. All of us, everybody I run into. I got in a cab yesterday and spoke to a young man who was a Muslim. Everybody's on a faith journey. And, and so we, we have to be mindful that as we come into this building, it's not a club, it's not a restaurant, this is a church. You're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But, but you also have to understand that there's a flip side to this coin. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And, and, and I would, again, I would be derelict if I didn't tell you the truth about the gospel. Because God's love is centered upon Jesus. God's love is centered upon Jesus. His revelation of his love is through the person of Jesus Christ. In our story, in this great narrative from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the hero. Don't look any further. Jesus is the hero. You got a problem? Jesus. I got to ask you where Jesus is in your life. So, oh man, but I'm struggling. I said, where's Jesus? Oh, my marriage is breaking up. Where's Jesus? Right? Because people want this quick elixir. There's this potion we want to drink and make life perfect. And it doesn't happen. There's no perfect life. There's a life we live. There's a life that's been given to us and we have to live it out. But God's love is centered on Jesus. Listen to this. If you reject Jesus, you are rejecting God's love. I'm going to say that again. Because some of us may be here today, and this is a divine appointment for you. If you don't know Jesus, if you have kept Jesus at arm length and you don't want to know anything about Jesus, this is your opportunity to give your heart and life over to Jesus. 
I did that over 30 years ago and it's changed my life radically. And I'm so grateful that he saw fit not to give up on me. Because I would have given up on me. But that's not who he is. His love pursues us. His love chases us down. His, his love goes into that crack den. He goes into that prison cell. He visits you in that hospital bed, in that corner where you're all curled up with the shades drawn and you don't want to talk to anybody or be around anybody. He is there with you and for you. But if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting his love. And eternal damnation is this place called hell. And hell is not made for you and me. It's made for the fallen angels who disobeyed and went amok. Why would someone choose not to enter into God's love? A loving and caring God who makes you where you are but loves you so much that doesn't allow you to stay there. Imagine. Uh, like Aaron was just mentioning about our salvation. People think that that's it. Salvation is the beginning. That there is this sanctification that begins to happen in our lives. That you can come in through these doors one way and years keep moving on. And if you stick and you stay, you commit yourself to the local church and to being in community and being known and knowing other people and locking arms with those people that are around you. And listen, family is messy. I got an uncle that doesn't get invited to parties. Because that brother got a couple of drinks in him and he's gone. <laughs> we got to tie him down. But God invites us into this place. There are people in this room that I know for years. People that I just recently met. People that I'm going to meet today, hopefully, if you stick around long enough, just to chat. But I say that to say that I feel extremely comfortable being in this place with you guys and just having this conversation. Because in the scriptures, in John chapter 14, by the way, if you have your sermon maps, there's a typo there. It's not John 8.32, it's John 14. We're going to be reading from John chapter 1, verse up to verse 6. And 6 will be our focus verse. The, the word's going to be on the screen. I would like everybody to stand so we can read it together. We can read this out loud. Again, we ask you to stand in this place um, for no other reason. It's not calisthenics. I know you guys don't need an exercise. I mean, you probably can't stand long. But, but it's to remind us that God's word is above everything. Everything. Personally, listen to me. God's word is the only thing that's kept me. Right? When I wanted to bug out and do me, I got to hear what God is saying and obey that. So let's read this together. Count of three. One, two, three. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Amen.
from Genesis to Revelation, we see this great narrative of God's love, his power, his provision, his presence. We see him moving through the pages as he uh, creates man and wants a relationship with man. And in wanting that relationship with man, he gives us what we call free will. And free will is a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. And, and I tell you why, because so many things flood your senses uh, when you come to making a decision. And all of us in this room are a sum total of the decisions we made. You didn't land where you are in life, coincidentally. There are decisions you've made at every pivotal morning at Fork and Rogues in your life in which you came to this place where you had to decide to do something and you didn't have either enough information, right, or, or enough uh, courage to be able to say, wait a minute, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask somebody, right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I need some help here. And there are decisions that you're, you're going to make and you've made and you can go back. I, you know, I, as I'm preparing for this, I've gone back in places where I've made some major decisions that have been really boo-boos. Like really, like mess. And, and I can actually go through the list and realize that the reason I made a bad decision is because I had bad information. And I had feelings that got in the way. Right? These emotional feelings that, that get in the way sometimes when we make these decisions. And you know yourself, you can kind of begin to think about moments in your life where you came to this, you know, pivotal place in your life and you made some decisions and, and you wish that those decisions you can make them again. Knowing that the information you have now, but that's not how time travel is. You can't go back with the information you have today. You just got to go back to that moment. And so for me, as I begin to, to move in this life and walk in this life and understand that God wants to do something in my life, I see in the Bible how he loves, how he shows up, how he provides, how he cares. And if you haven't read the Bible, then, you know, I want you to catch a glimpse at every single place where he shows up and shows up strong on behalf of his children. And the Bible says that the righteous should not be found begging for bread. There is nothing in my life that I've lacked. Now, granted, I've eaten filet mignon and I've eaten white rice and eggs. And I'm telling you, white rice and eggs beats filet mignon anytime. I'm telling you, uh, with a guy who loves portion, you can't bring a little piece of meat like that out and tell me it's great. You give me a huevo with, with a hoe and a little manta and I'm good to go. And I think that has a lot to do with us being content. You know, the world tells us that we have to pursue things and have things. That's materialism, right? That the more I have, the better I feel. Is that true? I mean, I, I know for me it wasn't. I know after a while, my drinking, you know, it, it just, it didn't help me. It didn't help me. And so I say this to say as we're going through this text today, because John does something amazing in the Gospel of John. Now, John is this apostle that is chosen by God. An apostle is just someone who's sent out. He happens to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But he's also the one that leans in his bosom in the Last Supper, everybody, you know, the meal. You see the pictures and stuff like that. But he's also the one that was at the cross when he was crucified. And he looks to John and he tells John, you know, behold your mother, you know, mother, behold your son. He turns over the, the person that he loves, his mother, to John's care. 
So John is a significant character in this story. And, and what happens with John, unlike the other disciples who suffered um, horrible deaths, like, like, like the men who were used by God were speared, beheaded, beaten, like, like thrown off cliffs, boiled, like all this stuff they had to go through. John did not experience that. John winds up being sent to this island called Patmos in which he writes the book of Revelation. He also writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Gospel of John, which makes him the second most prolific writer in the New Testament outside of Paul. And so when, Paul, when, when John speaks now, I want to lean in and listen to what he's saying. And so our focus text is going to be John 14, verse 6. And I want us to be able to look at it. Because it specifically says something here that is significant. Jesus is at the pinnacle of his ministry. He sees the cross. Even as he's speaking to everybody, he sees the suffering that's going to come. So he's on high gear now. I'm telling you, some of the conversations he's having with people are so profound that you can't miss it. He's having conversations with the Pharisee, who, by the way, some of the things they say, like it's a smack in the mouth moment. Like you ever get a backhand, like, right? Like that kind of stuff. Like, like, they, like he, he's having a conversation with them and, and, and they say that their father is, is Abraham and he says, no, your father's not Abraham. Because if you knew Abraham, you would know me. And then they go on to say this comment that just when I read it, I was like, yo, I would punch these guys in the face. <laughs> they said, we were in birth from fornication. They tell that to Jesus. Why? Because this immaculate conception of Mary. Nobody believes this virgin birth. So in their minds, she slept with somebody. So now they bring it to him and they drop it in his lap. And I'm saying, I read that over and over. I said, yo, this is like, doma, you know, kind of moment. But he's having these conversations. He's laying it out there. And by the way, this is making them more and more mad. This is, they want to kill him. He tells them. He says, you want to kill me. He says, your father is Satan. You're a liar. They even call him a demon. They call Jesus a demon. They go on and on. You find this in John chapter 8. He has this conversation. But he's laying it on them. He's letting them, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't know who I am. Like he's just laying it on them. And they get, I can see them, like the blood boiling. I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill this guy. But they're not killing him. God is going to use him to pay the price for our sins. It's going to liberate us from death. And so he comes and he says this. And, in, and John, you know, there, there are seven miracles that he talks about, one more powerful than the other, one more profound than the other that indicates his deity, that, that Jesus is God. He's fully man, but fully God, because of the things he's doing, only God can do. And then he drops these I am's. There are seven of them. And that word I am comes from Exodus chapter 3, in which Moses meets with God. I don't know if you remember the story, but Moses meets with God. And of course, God tells him, take off your sandals because you're a holy ground. And then God gives him a charge and says, I need you to go to my people. We're going to set them free. Right? That's what he tells Moses. Then Moses, like anybody, is like, well, who do, I, who, who do I tell them send me? And God says, 
You tell them, I am who I am sent you. And, and, and that translation of I am is just a reminder that God has always been, always will be, and will always be present in our lives. He is a God of the past, the present, and the future. And where we're finite and we cannot see tomorrow, God sees your tomorrows. He sees your past, but he also sees your tomorrow. And let me tell you something, please. Your past should not define you. If that was the case, I would have been trapped. I would have been lost. Whatever mistakes you've made, you've made. Can't take them back. You can't bring them back. What I love about scriptures, what I love about Christianity is that there is a place for forgiveness. There is a place where I don't have to work for it. I just have to accept it. So when Jesus says these words, they're extremely profound for us because it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now watch this because this is important because all roads do not lead to heaven. <laughs> it's only way you're going to see the Father, only way you're going to get eternal life in a place where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering is through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was having a conversation with a bunch of guys the other day about end times and how everybody's getting caught up with the chaos. And every time they see something, it's, oh, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Listen, I've been listening to people say Jesus is coming for a long time. 30 years. Now, mind you, that's not my concern. Because it says that nobody knows when he's coming. So if somebody tells you that Jesus is in the local deli, don't believe them. So I can't be concerned with when he's coming. I have to live as if he's coming tomorrow. So I'm going to love hard, live hard, laugh hard. I'm going to tell the people I love, I love them. And I'm going to show them because love is not just a word, it's an action. You can no longer tell people you love them and then it hurt them. Like, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, like, I don't, I don't get that. So you water down the word. You, you diminish its power. Like when you think about what Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And I think about how God has loved me. How in my mess, in my chaos, in my uh, unmanageability, right? Like, like in those moments where I am full-blown local. And, and, and he shows up and he just loves me. And he soothes me and reminds me, hey man, take it easy. I'm not done with you yet. You're better today than you were yesterday, but tomorrow's coming, and you're going to have to face some things tomorrow, and I'm trying to prepare you for them, but you're caught in today. And so, as he says this, it's significant for us because the Bible talks about the wide and narrow road, right? Uh, and, and obviously, in the wide road, you can, a lot of people travel it. Everybody's traveling it. The, the narrow road, it, it's a biblical reference to a particular place in which the only way that you can get through there is sideways. So you can't bring your luggage with you. You can't bring your stuff with you, right? So when he begins to speak about I am the way, he's saying that there is no other way. He's saying that your way hasn't worked. And, and I beg to ask that question. 
How have you done with the life that God has given you? Your way doesn't work. My way doesn't work. My way is not his way. And so when he says, I am the way, he's modeling for us. And in John, you see that moment in which he shows up. He lays a towel over his hand and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now that's, that's reversal. Because at that, the custom of that time, if you came into the house, right? Like if you come to my grandmother's house in Puerto Rico, the minute you walk in, the first question is, Tiene hambre, nene? Right? You hungry. That's the first thing because that's their love language, right? That's how they want to feed you no matter what, right? You could be blown up 500 pounds and it's like, you hungry? You know, kind of stuff. So that's the custom that we have in my culture, right? When you come to my house, it's the first thing, yo, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you know? Back then, when you walked into somebody's house because you had open shoes, you know, sandals, they would wash your feet, give you water to wash your feet. Jesus flips the script. Radical, just changes, like he's always doing, right? Messing with your head, right? So he takes in, he washes everybody's feet, he gets to Peter, and of course, Peter, we know Peter, if you know Peter, he's a loud mouth, you know, cantankerous. Peter's just a mess. But stay with me. Me too. And when I look at Peter, I have hope. Because if he can do it with Peter, he can do it with me. And so when I look at Peter's life, it's not there to say, oh, look at Peter. Oh, man, this guy's crazy. No, I'm saying, hey, Peter then becomes this powerful man of God as God uses him. And God takes a mess like me to bring forth a message. And, and, and so we see this. He serves. He comes to serve. Jesus says, I come to serve, not to be served. And I say that because I said earlier how people want to get their ears tickled. They want to feel comfortable. They, no, you cannot be comfortable with your sin. You can't because that's the one thing that separates you from God. The one thing that Jesus died for, do you think that he's going to let you continue to get away with it? And the wages of sin is death, a spiritual death, a disconnection from God. Not only here, but if you keep on that route, it's eternal damnation. And guys, this is not the movies. You don't get out of hell. You don't. Once you're there, you're there. You know, there's no you know, loophole. There's no negotiation. You're done. The time to make that decision is today and now. Guys, and, and I say that because there's a lot of jokes about it, right? And, and, and I can't even imagine not being around the people I love. And to think of being separated from God forever scares me. And so I say this because God's love, I don't know. Man, I got a warm blanket the other day. <laughs> and uh, it was so soothing. And, you know, I, I got a light kiss on my cheek from my daughter. And it was so soothing. Like I was in my room laying down and I could hear my son, where's dad, where's dad? It was so soothing. And not to have that, because I choose to reject God's love because I don't need it. 
So when he says, I am the way, this is not just any way. This is his way. And in the Bible, he models to us how we should love, how we should forgive, how we should care for one another, how we should walk in this life. And so it's not for us to neglect it or ignore it. When he says, I am the truth, truth is not relevant. I hear people say, well, you know, that's just my truth, you know. It's like justifying and rationalizing what you're doing is cool. And Jesus is saying, I'm the truth, right? And it says, to know the truth and I will set you free. That's found also in John chapter 8 as well. He talks about that. He, he says, you know, I, I am the truth. What, whatever, whatever you're going through, if you follow me, if you come to me, if you seek me, if you come and taste and see that I am good, you will want more of it. Uh, the song about fill me up, how important that is. It's important for us to be filled up every single day with the presence of God. You cannot do that if Jesus is on the peripheral of your life and not in your heart. See, there's no room in my heart for Jesus and someone else. There isn't. And so it's got to be all Jesus or none of Jesus. And I'd rather have all of Jesus and allow him to work things out in my life than me trying to figure it out. I don't know about you, but I'm still dealing with the wreckage of my past. In a different way. Right? I'm not responsible for anybody else. <laughs> I'm not responsible for me. I've done some things, been some places. Right? And, and, and so I'm grateful for the transformation in my life. I'm grateful for the moments in which God reminds me I'm not done with you yet. Right? Like I told my daughter the other day, I said, honey, do me a favor. You know, don't get into any trouble or any mess because I don't want a prison ministry. Like I don't. Like I, like I told her, that's not what I want to do. But it's a very sensitive part of my life. My kids. Right? Your parents, it's your kids. And so I remind her of this and she's like, dad, what are you talking about? I says, listen, I know you, got a little road rage every now and then. I just need you to be easy so I don't wind up having to preach the gospel in jail. Okay? I'd rather preach it out here. It's a lot better for me. But, but I say that only to say, guys, that I'm sitting here not because of anything except that I said yes to Jesus. And I said no to the world. And I continue to move on that continuum. That's all. Every time I came to a point in my life, I said yes to Jesus. That's all it was. Jesus told me, you know, hey, me and my wife bugging out. She going left, I'm going right. I said yes to Jesus. Okay, what do you want me to do? I need you to love her as Christ loved the church. He said, God. And he reminds me, it's not by your strength, by my spirit. Let me flow through you so that love can come out to others. He says, God, but there are so many unlovable people. And then he whispers and he says, remember how unlovable you were. Yeah, listen, I, I'm, I'm truly blessed. I, 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 know, I lost count. But I got probably 15 God children. Is that right, Jess? <laughs> Three years. And, and Zoe's sitting right there. Hi, Zoe. How are you, my favorite? And, and to think, if you don't understand what godparents are, 
parents make a decision that if something happens to you, you're going to take care of your kids. And I'm like, don't let nothing happen to you. I ain't taking care of your kid. <laughs> but that's the process that God takes us through. He, make, he takes us when we're useless right, and makes us useful. He cleans us up. He transforms our lives so that there's evidence of his work in our lives. And, and God knocks on the door of our hearts every single time. We see that in Revelation where he says, I knock on the door of your heart. If you open, I'll come in and I'll sit with you. I'll have a meal with you. I'll hang out with you. And people are like, no, no, you ain't coming in here. You're not coming in here. I'm a mess. No, I, we know. We know. I mean, seriously, is there anyone in this room that's perfect? Because if you are, I want to wear what you're wearing. <laughs> you know, we're not. But, but here's what I've learned, guys. And again, I feel extremely comfortable. I'm in this living room with my family, with my friends. And I just want to be able to share with you from a, point, from a place that we truly understand. I love people today. I love myself today. There were times I looked in the mirror and didn't like myself. I value relationships today. I do. Like I really genuinely care about people. I was just having a conversation with Justin who hasn't returned my call for three or four days. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, dude, what's up? And uh, of course, he hits me up with, I'm busy, you know, kind of stuff. I say, you're lucky I'm in Florida, bro. I'll be at your door telling me you're busy. But then think about that for a moment. So I want to just walk through some scripture to help us understand. Okay? So, so the, the way is Jesus. Right? And, and the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. Now, now there's a way you think is right. Like if you do it this way, and, and by the way, just so you know, there, there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. What does that mean? That whenever I'm about to make a decision, of course I'm going to God first. But I'm also asking people who are a little bit more ahead of me, right? Been there, done that kind of stuff. People who have reputable, authentic lives that I can seek out and say, hey man, I'm about to make this decision. What do you think? And so I listen to everybody. Ultimately, of course, I have to make that decision, but I have to make it honestly putting God first. That's not complicated. It's not. If you're the one, if you're the only one that you're conferencing with, how's that worked out for you? Right? So, so I want you to be aware that there's a way that may seem right to you, right? Ma, it's okay for me to do this. Hey, everybody, everybody's doing it. You know, it's, you know, it's not a problem. If God didn't want me to be happy, you know, he wouldn't have made alcohol. You know, and on and on and on. We got all these stories, right? No, you know, I love her. It's okay. Yeah, but, you know, the Bible strictly says that sex outside of marriage is a sin. And you're like, oh, you just messed me up. It's Sunday and you got to drop this on me. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to tell you the truth. And, and it's so important for you to understand that because at the end of the day, if Christ died on the cross for sin and the wrath of God was poured down upon him so that you would be spared that wrath, you think that it's okay that you can approach God on a sing every single day, that you can show up to church every single day and still be deep in your sin with no conviction, 
Listen, I came into church, I used to, I used to cuss a lot. I used to, it was, you know, obviously, you think you accentuate a conversation by dropping a couple of bombs, you know, get people's attention, you know. And, and as I was coming to church and coming to church, I heard someone once say, just like this, he said, you cannot draw sweet and bitter water from the same well. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he, he went even further. You can't come and praise God and with the same mouth curse your brother. It got in here. It broke me. It hurts my ears now to hear someone cuss. It does. It just hurts my ears. And, and by the way, like I worked in, 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 in prison for years. And, and the adolescent unit of Rikers and the kids will come in and after a while I say, yo, there's no cussing up in here, man. You're better than that. And so as the new guys came in, the guys that were already there would say, yo, don't be cussing in here. Mr. Rodriguez don't play that. Because it's a learned behavior. But I have to hear the truth to be able to change the way that I've been going. When you realize guys that you are worth more than a one night stand it will change the way you carry yourself when you realize that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit you will change the way you behave when you realize that your finances are not yours you would change the way you use the money that God is giving you to bless. When you look around you and you value the family that you have, your husband, your wife, your children, your mother, your father. Listen, I know we grow up. I know we grow up. And all of a sudden, we think we're smarter than our parents. And if you have little ones, get ready. And if you have older ones, you just got to learn how to be quiet after a while because they're like, right? But, but think about that. This is not even. This is, like, I walked into my mother's house when she was alive, and I still wouldn't open the refrigerator without asking her. You guys think, man, that's crazy. No, no, that's, right? I, I raised my voice to my mom once, and she was like, you're my father? And I'm like, no, but somebody got to tell you, not you. So I was like, yo, I'm just going to be quiet because <laughs> I know what comes next. But understanding your role in, in, in what God has set up and loving one another and, and respecting one another and caring for one another in that way is significant. Don't lose sight of your relationship. The next thing is that Jesus Christ is the truth. In John 8.32, which I've been mentioning already, it says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I use the amplified version because it adds something. It talks about the regarding salvation. Again, there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. That is the truth. So accepting Jesus is that. And then the whole idea of the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, we said, the wages of sin is death. So what happens is just that. The wages of sin is death, and if you do that, then that's what's going to come. And then it goes on to say the life. Jesus is the life. And it says this in John 10.10. 10. I'm using the CV version. It says, a thief comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. 
I came so everyone would have life and have it fully. I don't want to trickle down life. I want life to the fullest. I want to experience everything. The sunrise, the sunset, the waves and the ocean. I want to experience everything. I have birds every morning in my backyard that are becoming annoying. But they wake me up. Right? And I get a lot done throughout the day than sleep into them. I'm retired, so don't tell me when to get up no more. Okay? But the, this, as I watch them interact with each other and rub each other and call out to each other, and they all gather and they hang out on this little wire, and, and they just sit there to annoy me, and then they leave. <laughs> I enjoy that today. Nice. I, I enjoy those things. And, and, and guys, I enjoy it a lot more being sober. Yeah. <clears throat> Being sober. It's just not having anything to dull my senses and I'm fully taking in everything that's around me. And so when he says that, that he's come to give us life fully, it's so important for us to understand that. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know what way you've taken. But here's what I do know. You don't have to stay there. There's a path that God has set before you that he wants you to follow. So I want to encourage you to do that. You know, this, this life of us where, you know, we lack the ability to surrender, uh, to, to give right, up things. And, and guys, uh, in your bulletins, I put down just some brief notes for you to take and just take a look at. This whole idea of surrender is so significant as we close and get ready to have communion. But I wanted to just really quickly go. There's this quote there that says, True surrender is not simply surrender of your external life, but surrender of our will. And once that is done, surrender is complete. Like this will, this desire for you to go one way and not God's way, right? To live out this truth that you think is your truth and not the truth. To live out this life the way you want it to and not the way God wants you to. So fully surrender means just giving up. I, I, I have a, a spiritual grandson that I play around with, right? He's getting ready to go to school and he's got a mouth on him. So I know he's going to get in trouble. So he's going to have to fight. So I'm teaching him how to, you know, do his thing, whatever, as I should, right? Because the last thing I want him is to be a wuss and get beat up, right? Not that I want him to go around fighting. But what I do often is I grab him and I pin him down. I put my weight on top of him, not to supplicate the kid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a masochist, say this or anything like that. But I pin him down. And he struggles to try to get out. He's moving his legs, moving his arms, moving his head to get out. And he doesn't get back. Then finally now, what he's saying is, okay, Pop. I surrender. And that's when I let them up. When we surrender, we stop struggling. We stop kicking and biting and trying to do it our way. We surrender and yield and say, God, your way. Your way. And so there are a few things you can look at. One is humble yourself and God will lift you up. This thing about humility is overrated.
you have to be mindful that humility is about the awe of God and how God uses it to think more of other people than you do yourself. Okay, you don't have to announce that you're humble. You don't have to wear a shirt or get a tattoo that says that you're humble. That's not true. Okay, and then it says quit fighting and win. Some of us are fighting the wrong fights. Right, you know, I, I, I'm a control person. I can admit that here. We're, we're family. Um, I'm getting better with it. Um, and so I have to be mindful that there are things I just have to allow people to experience. Right? Uh, go last and become first. We've heard that. Give it away and you'll have more. Give it up and get back. Only better. I love this one. Give up your plan A for God's plan B because it's normally A plan A. Right? Like, I, I, don't, I, I see people going in, and I read this all the time, people going into relationships with a plan B in case it doesn't work out. And I'm, so how fully committed are you to it? Right? Like how fully committed you are to things. So be aware of that, okay? Uh, rest and you'll be more productive. I think that's huge for all of us. Uh, prefer the secret life, not the spotlight. The party don't start when you show up. You're late. That's all. Prefer, right, and then get there faster with God aboard. Okay, it's always a big deal. If you allow God to take you where he's got to take you, you'll be okay. And then lose your life and you will find it. Right? It's not about what you want to do as more as it is of what God wants to do through you and for you. So again, we surrender for deliverance. There's a scripture there to support that for you. We surrender for devotion. We surrender for death. And of course, we surrender to succeed. In Proverbs 16.3 specifically says this, Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to Him. And your plans will succeed if you respond to His will and guidance. You cannot invite God into spaces in your life and then do what you want. God is not there to be a co-defendant. God is there to lead. And we have to learn how to follow.